0: Father, you have brought us here this day because of your Holy Spirit that has worked in our hearts and lives to give us a love of your word and a love of the church and a love of fellow believers. We pray that you might be with us in these next moments as we discuss this very important topic. We thank you that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. And we come to you through Jesus who made that possible. In his name we pray. Amen. Faith alone. One of the five solas originally scheduled for a couple of weeks ago, but because of Brian's schedule, uh, I am on today. Faith alone. Yet we're going to see uh, that faith is not alone because of two wonderful results, justification and sanctification. We'll be looking at those in just a few moments. However, we will see that it really is Alone. First, let's go back to the early 1500s in Western Europe, and of course, to Martin Luther, uh, and his situation with Rome, his relationship with Rome, should I say. Uh, In Western Europe, it was a time of inquisitions, persecutions, heresy trials, strident, aggressive debates, vulgar names being used, torture, executions, bloodshedding. Talk about rough days. Those are very rough days in the early 1500s, the time of Luther. Hard for us in the 21st century to envision being in a society like that. Martin Luther, let's just review a couple of things that I'm sure most of you are familiar with. He grew up with a terrifying view of God as a very stern judge. And he was just waiting to send Luther to hell. That was his concern. Along with this, deeply aware of his own sin, his own unrighteousness. He had no trouble admitting that. So he tried every method he could to uh, rid himself of this problem, of this burden. He became a monk. He became a priest. He confessed his sins. He heard the confessions of others, confessing their sins, uh, made pilgrimages, even searched the Bible. Yet still he lacked assurance before a holy God. He said, I greatly long to understand the righteousness of God because I took it to mean that righteousness whereby God is righteous and deals righteously in punishing the unrighteous like me. But finally, as he studied Romans and Galatians and uh, also the Psalms, particularly in Romans, that phrase in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, the just shall live by faith. And that's what the Holy Spirit used to... To really get his attention and to do some more thinking about this whole subject night and day he wrote i pondered until i grasped the truth that the righteousness of god is that righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy he justifies us by faith alone thereupon i felt myself to be reborn to have gone through open doors to paradise the whole of scripture took on a new meaning And whereas before the righteousness of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet and greater love. This passage of Paul became to me a gateway to heaven. And if you've experienced a conversion particularly later in your life, and it's been very real and significant, you can identify with Luther, what it means when you come to understand that. Some of you know uh, about Mary Dan Hudson. Uh, I'll share this little thing with you. We were doing some cold turkey calling in the neighborhood of the Grange. And I wound up with a visiting house right across from the Grange. knocked on the door, and Mary came to the, to the door, and she uh, welcomed me, and she said, could you come back another time, maybe this evening or whatever evening it was. I said, I would. So that evening, I came back and sat down at the dining room table with her. And in our discussion, I was really emphasizing justification by faith alone. And she had a Roman Catholic background. And so uh, I could still see her. She was looking. I was over here. She was looking at this, and I just went through it, and she said, Really? Like that. Really? And I think the Lord then used that time, among other things, to uh, bring her to the Lord. So Luther, in thousands of sermons and booklets, he began to drive home faith alone. The result? Many people came to be released uh, from their burden the guilt of their own sins before a holy God, recognizing that salvation was not something they had to earn as their lives were changed they impacted all areas of society. That's why the Reformation had such an impact, not just on the church, but even on secular areas of life because of what Luther did. Secondly, let's look at this phrase, faith alone. And let's begin with the question what is faith? Now, when we had the series on faith, I emphasized faith has three elements. Can any of you remember what they are? One is knowledge. Secondly, Conviction. Third, action or trust. You do something with it. And we can multiply the examples of that. The mind thinks, the heart feels, and the will acts. Each day we live by faith. Everything we do. When you came in this morning and sat in your chairs, you had faith the chair would hold you up. When you came here, you had faith that Sunday school would start at around 9 o'clock. And worship service will follow that. Uh, When you sit down to eat, you're confident that when you eat, you're not eating something poisonous. You don't have to dread every meal. Is this poisonous or not? You have faith that it it will not be poisonous. And so on. We can multiply illustrations of that. Well, we're talking about saving faith. and It's the same idea. Now, in your uh, little uh, thing before you, you'll see in point B, under 2, from the Westminster Shorter Catechism... Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon Him alone for salvation as He's offered to us in the gospel. Faith is not a vague hope, saving faith. It's not a faith in faith, but it's a faith in Christ, a confidence and firm trust in Him, confident believing He can save us and pardon our sins and take care of that problem. Um, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, you're familiar with that passage, Come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. John 1:12, But as many as received him, I may emphasize the word received, as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So there's rest and receive there. And that's where the catechism, uh, two verses that they use for that. Um, We have already been reminded that faith is an amazing gift. Brian particularly emphasized this a couple of weeks ago. It's a divine gift. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Roland Hills was a British evangelist. And he one day went to an auction. And as he looked at what was happening at auction, he came back and he wrote these words. Every time I preach, I hold an auction. Selling wine and milk without price. That idea from Isaiah fifty-five one. The auctioneers have trouble getting people up to their price. But my difficulty is getting people down to mine. (laughs) That salvation is a free gift of the Lord. How about that word alone? John Calvin even uh, concedes that this word does not appear in in Paul's text uh, here and other places. He insists, however, that the concept plainly is there. For example, uh, just pick one, Romans 3, three verses there. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, Justified by his grace is a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. For behold, that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Just one passage among many that that supports that idea. But I mentioned at the beginning that faith really is not alone. Because there are certain results from faith. One is justification. The other is sanctification. Now these are big words and if you have trouble grasping them, the, the only one thing I can su- suggest is just by rote. You just have to learn it and study it and get it in your mind when you hear those words what they mean. Someone put it this way with justification the sinner can approach a God justified, never sin, justified. See? Have a little play on words there. The word sanctification, uh, think of the word sanctuary, something set apart believers are set apart by the Lord to serve Him, to do certain good deeds. So those might be helpful ideas for that. What is justification? There's the uh, definition for you from the Shorter Catechism. It's an act of God's free grace wherein He pardons all our sins, accepts us as righteous in His sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us we'll talk about that in a moment, imputed us, and received by faith alone. Certain terms we have to keep in mind with the idea of justification. One is, it's a forensic term. Forensic has to do, it's a legal term of judicial courts. So anything having to involve judicial courts, It's so this is a, in terms of the court of God, and it has a judicial flavor. Imputation means to credit, to reckon, to attribute, to consider as, and that truth is declared. A declaration is an affirmation, announcement, proclamation. And we'll come back to this in a few moments, but keep that eye in mind, That is something that God declares, all right? Um, we have a court scene. A uh, guilty or not guilty pronouncement usually occurs, And the judge, based upon what the jury brings in, or something he he might want to do, he declare I declare this trial over, and this person is not guilty. Or I declare, based upon the evidence we have heard, that this person is guilty. So it's a declaration. It doesn't change who the person is. He's still a sinner. He still knows if he's declared not guilty. Oh, I got away with that one. (laughs) So you see, it, it doesn't necessarily change the person, but... Legally, there's a declaration there. Well, justification is an act of God's free grace, something he does, not what we do. A divine legal declaration by imputation, credit, that brings about, this is important, a change of status with the sinner. The Sinner's still a sinner, but now his status has changed. He's no longer angry at God or afraid for God, but now he loves the Lord. Because he has been gloriously justified in the sight of God. How does one get that? I think this was one of the more important questions of the Reformation. Um, It's like a hinge. Uh, A hinge is fine. It goes back and forth, back and forth. But everything depends on what? It's firm foundation. It has to have a firm foundation. Otherwise, it won't work. Even on a door. Open Open and close. There's the hinge working. But you have to have the foundation of the door itself. And so, of course, the foundation is what Christ has done, his righteousness. That's the hinge upon which, that's the foundation but which the hinge uh, uh, exists. Um, and that foundation is the righteousness of Christ. Now, I'm going to throw this in now so I don't forget it. What we need is a God-righteousness. We don't need anything from us. We need that righteousness of the divine Holy Spirit, Christ, God the Father, we need that. But that righteousness is pure, it's holy, that's what we need. John Stott has this interesting statement Justification by faith is God's way of righteousing the unrighteous. I'm not sure in the English language there is a term righteousing, a participle like that, but it's an interesting statement. God's way of righteousing the unrighteous. So it's a foreign element. Has nothing to do with who we are. Takes place only once at conversion, at that act of God, that conversion uh, experience or reality. Complete for time and eternity, not repeated, just once only. A person either is fully justified or not justified at all. Therefore, faith is the instrument for obtaining uh, justification by claiming that righteousness of Christ. Yes. I believe that Jesus took upon himself the sins I deserve, the punishment for the sins, and his perfect life is credited then to me. And I rest in that. It's a deep, it's not an empty faith without strong content or intelligent ideas. And I think a lot of people have the idea that we Christians were in these pie-in-the-sky things. They're very nice to believe, but... There's nothing to it. Well, as we approach the scriptures, we find there's a lot to it. It's a solid, solid uh, foundation that we have. Um, and that what so gives consolation and rest to our souls, of course. Uh, I put in here something about the forgotten uh, doctrine. I say forgotten because usually when we're dealing with this whole subject, we forget about adoption. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Let's don't forget it. So I'm making a passing comment about it. And there's uh, the definition for you at the top of your page. An act of God. There's that word act again. An act of God's free grace, whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the Son of God. A wonderful doctrine. Let's not uh, forget that. So two things happen to conversion. Not only you're converted. But boom, justified, adopted. Justified, adopted. Sins forgiven, righteousness of Christ applied to us, so our status has changed, and adopted into God's family. Pause here for a moment. Any comments or questions you have? i
1: am a lot to cover here. Dave? about that word adoption in terms of Jews and the Gentiles. I get, uh, I'd i say it applies to both, but in a kind of in a special way to the Gentiles that were adopted into the family of God because they were outside of the
0: company. Yeah. Dave, Dave pointed out, because you can't hear, that uh, it's a word related, especially to the Gentiles, the idea of adoption. Yeah, and they have a certain way you adopt somebody. Yeah. Yep. So the uh, Christian faith, we took that idea over. Paul deals with that more in Galatians 3, quite some length there. Faith and sanctification. Now, there's a little change here in the catechisms. Justification is what? An act of God's free grace. Adoption, an act of God's free grace. Notice we have a different word here now for sanctification. It's the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and enable more and more to die into sin and live into righteousness. Here's another helpful way to understand what sanctification is. It has to do with the Christian life, uh, obeying the Lord, seeking to serve Him. It's all involved with that. Um, there are in theology theology. There's two different words for sanctification. One is definitive sanctification, and one is progressive sanctification. We're talking about progressive sanctification. There's a certain sense in which at conversion, we're not only justified and adopted, but we also are fully sanctified because of the righteousness and holiness of Christ. We're identified with that. So there are some verses that emphasize that. But mostly, what sanctification is talking about is God's work in our lives, enabling us to be renewed after the image of God, and enable more and more to die to sin, to not sin, and to live unto righteousness. So how does this fit in with this idea of faith alone? Now we're moving into the area of works, good deeds. Well, uh, I'm going to use the word works, but I'm really referring to sanctification also at the same time. On your sheet, and this is maybe a little bit hard to understand what these mean, RCC stands for the Roman Catholic Church, uh, F, of course, for faith. Um, plus, you can understand what that is. Works. There it is. The, the equal sign stands for results in. So the Roman Catholic view is this: you need faith. They, they believe in Jesus, the Son of God, and all that. But you also have to have works or sanctification. If you have those two, blah blah, you have justification. So you have faith plus your good deeds, you have to have both, and then you enjoy the blessings of justification. The Reformers, quite differently, faith alone results in justification and good works. There's quite a difference there. Uh, With the Roman Catholic view, sanctification with faith is a precondition for justification. So it gets away from faith alone, doesn't it? Um, they must be, faith must be distinguished from works and justification from sanctification, but you can't separate them into watertight compartments. They all kind of mesh together. The work of God's free grace. He doesn't leave us on our own to live a good life. Nevertheless, we are responsible for seeking to do that. And the most important passage here is Philippians 2, end of verse 12, verse 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's our responsibility for sanctification. We're, we're saved by faith alone, but we are responsible for responding to that faith with good works, good deeds. Um. Say, so see, I interrupted myself there. Let me get back to my, my point here. Yeah, Philippians 2. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. To enable you to do that. So, yes, we do good deeds, but we couldn't do any good deeds unless the Lord was working it, helping us with our problems and dealing with sin and seeking to live a more godly life. Um, Therefore, works have their place, but keep in mind, even the best of them are tainted with our sin, one way or another, only serving to show how, show how far short we are of the glory of God. In fact, strictly speaking, our works merit nothing. Zero. Nada. In itself. It's only because the Lord enables us to do things which we consider to be good Good deeds. Luther had this very little interesting statement to make and caught my attention. Faith is a busy little thing. Isn't that neat? Faith is a busy little thing. It's not something we simply put into our heads, See, I believe that, accept it. But because of that, we're seeking to serve the Lord and obey him. We're doing busy things to, in the kingdom of the Lord. So that, I thought, was a neat little sentence a brief comment on James 2.24 over against Paul. In James 2.24, James very clearly says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith. Whoa, (laughs) where'd that come from? Not by faith alone. You need to have the works. Well, to make this very brief and try to get to the point, Wherever there's an apparent conflict between one writer of Scripture and another, such as here, where James seems to be contradicting Paul, uh, you have to just ask yourself, what's the situation? What are the circumstances here? Um, what are they trying – what problems are they trying to solve? James was dealing with anti nominianism, which is against the law. People, they don't have any interest in the law, in obeying God. Those kind of things aren't important. Well, important things, just believe. Just believe. And that's why James is dealing with this in this whole passage in chapter 2. Paul is dealing with legalism, where people go the other extreme, and they emphasize, this is what I do, I've got to obey God here, you earn this, this, and this. So we're dealing with two different things. So don't think of, of James and Paul kind of meeting in the arena, and it's, all right. Paul's saying, all right, James. I can't believe you said that. And James is saying, oh, Paul, how can you say that you don't need to work? I don't understand it. <laughs> they're not that way at all. Rather, think of them as being back-to-back. As they're fighting along with their sores and so on, Paul might say, James, how are you doing? Well, this enemy's pretty strong, but I'm doing my best to deal with it. How are you doing? Yeah, I've got this problem over here. And so they're back-to-back, they're, they're friends, but they're just approaching it from a little different standpoint. Faith alone, yes. But faith is not alone. It results in justification and, especially, sanctification. Okay, let me pause here. I uh, made better progress than I thought I would. I've been going kind of fast. Anything, uh, tr- troublesome in question? Yeah, Dave?
1: I, I seem to remember at one point Luther uh, expressed he wasn't too happy with the Epistle of James. Yeah. He called it a
0: rather straw epistle. An epistle of straw?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you can understand why. I mean, he he loved uh, Romans and Galatians, but uh, he got to James. Whoa, what is this here? James, what's this? This cannot be in the canon. Do you yeah.
1: know how he eventually resolved that? Do you know if Luther ever resolved that? Or did he I'm out? not
0: sure. I'm not. I think he always had trouble. My, yeah. what I understand, he yeah. always had trouble with that. Yeah. He kind of accepted it. But it doesn't. It pe-
1: we brought that up uh, when Pastor Brian was here, and he, he said there's some evidence that later in life he did back down from that, and that it was sort of in one offhand letter that we get that epistle of straw. Really? And obviously Luther was very rhetorically <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, intense, so yeah. at least Pastor Brian's perspective was we've probably but he, blown that up a little bit. But
0: too he did have a struggle with it for many for quite a long time. Yeah, Kelly?
1: Well, you know, the whole concept I, I've always thought of faith and works they, they are complementary to one another right. yeah. uh, for you to sit there and say I'm a businessman and I, I run a business says, really, do you get up in the morning? No <laughs> do you have an office? well, yeah my, my, my yeah. bedroom, yeah. my point is there has to be some evidence yeah. of the claim yeah. of what you are and that was, really, was James' well, point you know, yeah. I don't know where my is I think she's somewhere, yeah. my point is There has to be an actual evidence that whatever you're claiming has a byproduct that would be reflective of that. Whether good, or the guy goes, I'm a criminal. Really? Oh, yeah, I've been president. Well, you've got evidence that you haven't been a criminal. My point is, the whole concept of faith without works would be, oh, I love the Lord and this, that, and you do things to honor him. Well, no. Yep, yeah. (laughs) And you go, well, then I think that's a false claim. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Let's go back to the chair illustration. Let's suppose that Cecil comes into Sunday school and with his strong knees now, he's standing up, and he's standing on both legs, and uh, and everybody else sits down, he's still standing. I said, Cecil, why don't you sit down? Don't don't you uh, you know where the chair is? Oh, sure, I know where the chair is. Do you uh, have confidence that would hold you up if you sit in it? Yes. Well, sit in it. Well, I don't know. So he's not really expressing faith in action. Right. Okay? So he sits in it, and this oh, there's some evidence that he has faith in the chair. Yeah. So general faith results relates very well to saving faith. Okay, Marilyn?
1: My thought is uh, the works are the fruit. Exactly, they, they the works are the fruit. It's not something you choose to do. Yeah. Like, it grows out of what... God is yeah. it. it's not
0: something difficult for us. Not gonna, this that so you automatically begin doing it. We don't do it, do it perfectly, but <laughs> so our desire is to obey the laws of God, the commands of God, through the Word of God.
1: Yeah, but my nature isn't always to love my neighbor. That's right. <laughs> so That's I right. step out of myself because yeah. Christ told me to. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sitting there going, my is doing something. Like oh, yeah. oh man! But yet yeah. I'm called to care for him, pray for him. And as you said, that's the fruit that says, "Yeah, well, you you yeah. to do that." Was Christ was in you? Yeah, exactly. Because so, apart from myself, I'd go wring the guy's neck, right? Yeah, because yeah. He's damaging my young guard. Yeah. Our responsibility is to love. Yeah. love our enemies. Yeah.
0: Okay, let's get the last section here. Some false ideas. We we discussed this doctrine, and we talked about faith, justification, sanctification. But what? How does it relate? Is it that really that important? And I think we've, first of all, seen that the Roman Catholic Church uh, has it really backwards. Uh, They emphasize grace and faith necessary for salvation. However, what they affirm is quite differently than the Reformed view of faith. They exclude the whole concept of faith alone. By faith, yes, but not by faith alone. Justification is not by or through faith alone, but primarily, as I understand it, by baptism and then penance. So you get baptized; that's a good start. Then you express penance to the church; that's a good, good thing to do. But you might lose that penance credit there, so you got a—you don't have satisfaction, completely, a peace of heart that you're fully justified because you're always wrestling with this little bit of a problem. Um, is the way the Roman Catholics puts it, we're justified by not imputation by by infusion. Now, as I, an illustration of this, is you, we're going to go get our flu shot Thursday. We're scheduled to get it, so we're going to go in there and pull the sleeve up, and they put the needle in, and then goes the, the medicine that goes through our whole body, and hopefully will keep help us not to have the flu. So, as I understand the the Catholic position here. What the Lord does is pour righteousness into the person, giving him or her the ability to achieve merit before God. Uh, In the case before us, the subject, a certain righteous quality is placed into the life, into the soul, spreading to all parts or mind or will and so forth. Um, And that's what they, they rest on there. The result is a virtuous person. So, by being baptized in particular, that makes us makes us per, uh, virtuous, makes us holy, and gives us righteousness. There, quite different than the Reformed idea: declaration, not guilty. Um, Herman Bovenk wrote, The quarrel between Rome and the Reformation did not have to do with whether we are justified by an active or inactive faith or by a living or a dead faith. The question was, just as it was for Paul, whether faith with its works or whether faith apart from its works justifies us before God and in our consciences. Yeah, Kelly? As a
1: Reformed Catholic, I understand. The concept is quite extraordinary because... Your sin is always with you. You can go to confession. Yep. But the minute you sin again, which is just to walk out the door, yeah. you're now condemned to now go to somewhere other than heaven. That's why when you're dying and they go they got to give you the last rites. Yeah. They yeah. figure you got sin and from your last confession, they if they don't give it to you, you're going into where we go limbo yeah. or what yeah. <laughs> or yeah. Because you have not been... Yeah saved by the saving blood of Christ. Yeah. That's, that's the concept. Yeah, so Roman
0: spirit. Catholics are very dependent upon the church oh
1: my God. to
0: help them, you know, get right with God oh here, God. not directly through Christ. <laughs> yeah. Theological liberalism, just a passing comment upon this, our denomination was formed out of the, one of these issues of faith alone. By the way, I have two books here. One of them is uh, What is Faith by Dr. J. Gresham Machen. A very wonderful book. If you need to explore more about faith, it's in our library over here. I'll point out the other book in a moment. Um, in Matson's day, back in the twenties and the thirties nineteen twenties nineteen thirties in the inter- they, they approached the, the big Presbyterian Church approached it this way. In the interest of church unity, we need to tone down faith alone by for justification. The reform view, or this view, is too divisive, too harsh. And so this view, vague expressions about peace, love, unity, a great desire for compromise. And this is what Machen and others were dealing with back in the beginning of our denomination, why we formed the OPC, because it came out of this. they completely downplayed faith alone for justification. MacArthur against Hodges, John MacArthur against Zane Hodges. John MacArthur, well-known Bible scholar. And uh, Zane Hodges taught, he's a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. This is the so-called lordship controversy. Um, both accept faith alone. But for Hodges, there's no necessary connection with sanctification one can be a carnal christian you're, you've made the decision to trust in christ so that's a good start you're there uh but you're kind of in a carnal state until you experience just sanctification you really get right with the lord and begin to to obey him the way you should uh the point in this dispute is not the inevitability of spiritual fruit fruit which uh Marilyn called our attention to but when it will appear The Lordship controversy says you can accept Jesus as your Savior. Your sins are forgiven. You got that made. Now, your next step, somewhere along the line, you need to make sure you're not a carnal Christian. You're a sanctified Christian. So you need to work on that. It might take uh, two days. It might take two weeks. It might take two years. But at some point, you're going to kick in there (laughs) with it. So in a nutshell, that's kind of the view uh, there. Um, So for Hodges... Repentance and fruit, not requirements for salvation. Only affirmation and belief. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Christy? So, is
1: MacArthur um, not right also because he's saying, okay, you're a Christian and now you need to make Jesus the Lord
0: of your life? Is, is that no, no, Macar- MacArthur would say it happens with conversion. Okay. He becomes, uh, not only is he your Savior, but he's your Lord from day one.
1: Yes.
0: Yeah. Okay. Hodge would say, Savior, Lord comes later.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah. The new perspective, well, I don't understand this hardly at all, but I'll do my best. This view says Martin Luther and John Calvin misunderstood what Paul actually taught. They accept the Reformed Confessions, yet claim Reformed Theology needs to be changed and clarified. Paul's conversion was not Luther's conversion by justification by faith alone, but Paul's understanding of the place of Jews in the covenant community. That's what he was dealing with. Um, Therefore, the important thing is not justification by faith alone, but by faithfulness. Trusting and obeying. Well, as soon as we say that, what's this opening up here? A can of worms that they're toning down uh, the f- faith alone. So, well, you need to express faithfulness to the covenant community and have a right relationship with people and so on. That, in a nutshell, is kind of, as I understand that, it's a sort of a weird view, but uh, it's a view that's popped up here. Uh, I meant to use this illustration of, I asked the question, what's, what's so important about this doctrine we're looking at today? Well, most evangelical churches, uh, we think they're right to it, but, you know... It might be just a little off kilter, a little bit. They believe in Jesus, the Son of God. They believe in the Bible's word of God. They're fellow Christians, fellow believers, but they're not quite with faith alone. And that's new perspective is one.
1: It doesn't sound like it's anything new to me. I'm sorry. It doesn't sound like there's anything new to me there. Yeah. <laughs> it
0: sounds like same old story. Yeah. Same. Any way to tight, tight, uh, tone it down? Norman Shepherd was a. Um, Professor at Westminster Theological Seminary. Uh, he graduated the year before I got there, and I never knew him personally until many years later, but he taught there for a number of years in systematic theology. Uh, he came up with a view that caused concern in his presbytery and at the seminary as well. His words uh, seem to be misleading formulations and explanations. You read it first, and it sounds good, and then you say, wait, wait a minute, what's, what's he saying here? He favored Faith with its works. That's getting (laughs) pretty close to uh, denying faith alone, isn't it? Rather than faith apart from its works, he tended to say in his followers that the imputing by which God's verdict of justification is pronounced includes an element of works. Works then with faith are partial instruments to obtain justification. Thus, we have Faith needs the works of man's achievement rather than the sinner completely abandoning himself to Christ's atoning work. One more here. This was interesting. Speaking of John MacArthur, I I heard, I think it was on a tape somehow, he was talking and uh, he he had a a Peter-Paul moment. Remember in Galatians chapter 2, what Peter was teaching, Paul Stood him to his face and literally at some conference MacArthur not, not MacArthur but MacArthur relating this R.C. Sproul got up and confronted Packer with his view and he was so involved with it if I remember right he actually stood on a table and reprimanded Packer for his view he said you're getting away from the true gospel and I found that fascinating packer's view as i have it here in my notes it's faith itself that brings salvation not any theory about faith in christ or in the church he seems to say faith is the doctrine in the doctrine of justification brings salvation the very faith in the doctrine itself in some way he's pointing that point he doesn't use the word alone so packer is wonderfully as he was he's I'm going to be the Lord Lord now, but he had a lot of great books, Um, Knowing God, uh, Mm -hmm. Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, two of his books. Um, But he just seemed to get away from just a little bit, so much so that Sproul was just beside himself at this conference and um, reprimanded him. So I'm going to conclude with some remarks by R.C. Sproul. I showed you the book by Machen, World Faith. And here's a book called Faith Alone by R.C. Sproul, both these books in our library. By the way, if you ever see a pocketbook, not the hardcover, a little pocketbook, at the very top, you'll see a book review of it by R. Malkor of New Horizons. <laughs> and my father-in-law is the one who called it my attention to it. So, said, yeah, hey, see you, you have your name on the back of Sproul's book. What? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I wrote a little review for New Horizons and they use that Um, a couple of things let me close here he said justification by faith is like Atlas who carried the world on his shoulders Uh, if he would fall then everything on his shoulders would come crashing down Uh, Anne Ryan wrote a book called Atlas Shrugged I didn't read it but the whole idea is what happens if Atlas shrugs everything goes off kilter faith in uh, alone is important not just because the church would fall without it but because we stand or fall without it and then oh he wrote atlas has shrugged and the evangelical house totters on the brink of collapse like packer's view of the new perspective of uh, the lordship idea to be very careful to hold on to faith alone because it, it won't be the what the bible says Closing quotation from Sproul, the church is assailed on every side by the forces of modernity and an increasing hostile secularism. We all feel the need for evangelicals to close ranks to protect the church from this onslaught, but if in closing ranks we shift the foundation of the faith, there will be no evangelical church left to protect. Any minister who has ever refused to compromise the gospel at any point has felt the rage and invective of his opponents and his friends. This was true of Paul, Luther, Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, and every other servant of Christ who has remained faithful to Christ and his gospel. Therefore, the OPC takes a strong stand in faith alone. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the gift of faith that you've given to us who are your children in this room today. We thank you that it's nothing we did because we would always be struggling to make sure we did what you want us to do and always fearful of when we did not do that. And so we rested and received in Jesus alone for our salvation. And we continue to look to you and the power of your spirit to enable us to live sanctified lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.